This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards. If you're looking to unload your collection and maybe turn some of that old cardboard into cash, Greg Morris can help. Greg's always buying collections of vintage basketball, baseball, football, or hockey cards. If you have modern or ultra-modern graded cards, he'll buy those as well. On top of all that, Greg takes cards on consignment. Go to gregmorriscards.com to sell them your cards, or you can email joe at gregmorriscards.com directly. What's up, everyone? This is episode 161 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, um, I want to start off by thanking you guys for all your feedback regarding last week's episode. Seems like I'm not alone when it comes to having second thoughts about Atlantic City. And uh, it's not that the show itself is going to be bad. You know, I don't want to give that kind of impression at all. I think it's going to be awesome, just like the other Nationals I've been to. But the logistics for me are a train wreck. So as I explained in the episode, I've decided to go to Indiana and Dallas this summer instead. I can do two trips for the price of one. Uh, I've got the Indy flight booked already, and I can't wait to get back there and then I'll be finalizing the Dallas stuff soon as well. Um, As for today's show, I'm going to talk about a recent card show experience here in Florida. I've got a couple pieces of mail I want to share with you. And then I know by now a lot of people have probably covered this to some degree, but I really feel the need to weigh in on this million-dollar break that took place in Vegas last Thursday night. Yes, that's right. I watched all seven hours so you didn't have to. Now, granted, a lot of it was at two times the speed on YouTube. A lot of it was in the background, but there were definitely some things that concerned me, and I think they're worth sharing. Um, I know there have been some people out there that have already said, well, you know, if it concerns you or bothers you that much, then just don't watch it. Well, I think it deserves our attention because of the lessons to be learned from it. That doesn't mean you have to go back and watch it, um, but believe me, I took plenty of notes. Okay, so anyway, that'll all come later. After watching all of that, though, I had to try and counter the whole thing with a positive hobby experience, so I went to a small show this past weekend in Tampa. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time recapping this one because it's similar to a lot of other shows I've been to in the area, and um, I only bought one card, but I want to talk about that pickup real quick. This was a rookie card of one of two guys in the history of the NBA to win 10 titles or more. Now, you probably know, or uh, you can make an educated guess, that one of those guys is Bill Russell, and that is correct. Um, And while this seller had a nice-looking Russell rookie, it was way out of my budget. Remember, that was one of my hobby goals. Not sure if I'm going to meet it this year. I'm not going to, you know, lose any sleep over that, though. So anyway, it was not a Russell rookie. Um, So who is the other player to win 10 plus titles. I'll give you a moment if you want to kind of make a guess on your own. I'll tell you, he also wore green, so that might help you. Okay, do you give up yet? Um, I picked up a 1961 Fleer 
Sam Jones rookie. And Sam won 10 titles in 12 trips to the finals. Um, I know a lot of people out there will try to downplay this accomplishment because, you know, he played alongside Bill Russell. But uh, Sam Jones led the team in scoring for three seasons. And he was quick for a guard. He was a great shooter. He wasn't necessarily wired the same um, with the same fierce, aggressive demeanor as some of the NBA's greatest legends. But when the Celtics needed someone to calmly sink a big shot in the heat of the moment, Jones was their guy, and he was good at it too. So anyway, I had been wanting a nice Sam Jones rookie for a while. I made an offer on one at last year's National, but the seller and I were were too far apart, which, you know, looking back now, really wasn't all that far apart. But anyway, I got this one raw for $70, which um, I thought was an absolute steal for the condition. And um, believe it or not, it is off to PSA. Remember, I said, you know, I'm trying new hobby experiences. This is, I, I guess, the PSA thing's not completely new to me, but it's not a normal thing for me at all. But um, I was chatting with a friend about a batch of cards that he's sending in this week, and I kind of casually stated, hey, you know, this Sam Jones I picked up is super clean. I should grade this one someday. I'm curious to see what I'd get. And his reply was, how quick can you get it to me? And, um, so I got it to him and, uh, I posted before I sent it though, I posted a video of it on my YouTube channel earlier this week. I'd love to see what some of you think it might grade. Feel free to drop a, a guess in the comments. And then in a couple months or so, we'll see if anyone guessed right. I'm guessing it's going to be probably a six or a seven. Um, it's off centered, but otherwise the card is really clean, which says a lot for 61 Fleers because the technology wasn't great then and, uh, there were a lot of rough cuts. Okay, uh, speaking of rough cuts, yeah, you you know where this one's going by now. Uh, some of you are still using outdated cutting technology in an area where there's little to no margin for error. Lucky for you, this week's episode is sponsored by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming, who recently launched the Performance Package 4.0, the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. And this thing is no joke. As part of this package, you get the Lawnmower 4.0, you get the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer, you get the Crop Preserver Below the Waist Deodorant, and you get the Crop Reviver Below the Waist Toner. On top of that, you get two free gifts, a pair of Manscaped boxers, and the Shed Travel Bag. As I've said before, they sent me one of these performance packages um, as far as the, you know, the in-episode uh, in ad reads here. We're on a trial run for a couple more weeks if you want to hear more of these spots and take care of yourself at the same time, go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code WAX, W-A-X, WAX, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code WAX. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped, the only trimmer endorsed by the Wax Museum podcast. All right. On to the mail. Um, I want to note, in addition to the cards that I'm describing today, I received a couple nice packages with Pacers freebies and our test freebies. I thanked all of you privately, but I want to say thanks again. Um, just know that I really, really do appreciate it. Um, as far as the purchases go, the first piece of eBay mail I received this week was a Jeff Foster 2004-2005 Finest Black Refractor numbered 4 out of 29. Uh, and I was pretty surprised to see this show up because there aren't a lot of Foster cards that get, get listed on eBay, let alone nice ones. Just for reference, if you don't believe me, 
Um, there were a total of eight, yes, eight Jeff Foster cards listed on eBay this week. Um, three of them were those listings where you can buy any base card from a particular set. And then the other five were just single base cards that people listed. So all eight of them were base cards. This was, of course, after I, I purchased my card. Um, so very happy to get this one. You might have seen me showing it off in a YouTube video already. Um, I have several other Fosters from the set, and I'm trying to build the rainbow now. And I've said this before, but 2004-2005 Finest is kind of like the OG Prism rainbow. If you don't count the four printing plates, I think there are something like 14 parallels. And that might not seem like a lot now, but um, that was unheard of in 2004. So anyway, the Black Refractor puts me at five of the 14, and I would say that's a pretty good start. Um, the second card that I got in this week, and the last one that I'm going to talk about today, is one that I had high expectations for. Now, I have it in hand. I still like it, but it's not quite what I was expecting. And that is a 2020-2021 uh, Panini Obsidian Electric Etch Yellow Flood Parallel of Miles Turner. I had to read that carefully here. Let me say that again. An Electric Etch Yellow Flood. Um... And I think I made the same mistake with the regular electric etch yellow parallel, because there's all sorts of parallels here, uh, where even though they say, you know, clearly say yellow in the title, I'm expecting a gold card that really pops, because there were some pictures on eBay that kind of gave me that impression. What I got instead was more of an electric yellow, like it says, right? They're, they were accurate here. Um, I guess I was hoping that they would look more like 2014 Prism Gold, that's my bad, right? That's on me. Uh, it's more of a dull or like a, a matte chromium look. I don't know exactly how to describe it. But once I got over those unrealistic expectations, I still like the card. And there's a handful of pacers in the set. I've got a Brogdon on the way already. Um, I still plan to track down the rest. And it should give me something cheap to chase after that requires some level of patience still, which that, that makes it, you know, that draws it out a little bit. That's a good thing. Um, because I think these were exclusive to the team all boxes. So um, I posted that Turner up on Instagram sometime in a story sometime around the start of the week. If you missed that and want to see it again, um, just let me know. Hi there. My name is David. I go under the username drumdrexler22 on Instagram, and I collect Clyde Drexler cards. I'm always looking for unique patches, autographs, and one-of-one -one cards of Clyde Drexler. Specifically, I'm looking for any Clyde Drexler card that features patches from the 1996 All-Star Game. Typically, these cards feature a teal patch. I'm also looking for cards that might feature the Rocket logo from the 1995 season. Sets such as 2014-15 Eminence featured these patches. Well, I know David's been a longtime listener of the show, a longtime Drexler collector as well. Um, and we've made a deal in the past, maybe even more than one, but I know one specifically where um, I bought a Moses Malone patch off of him. Um, great guy to work with, and I have to say it's really an honor to have him on this week. Now, I watched the end of Clyde Drexler's career, so I have seen him play some, but I feel like I'm missing out because I didn't really see the prime. And I was looking at his numbers this week, and I noticed that he had at least three seasons where he averaged over 25 points per game. And then his career average was around 20 points per game, and he never really tapered off all that much. Um, on top of that, he was an excellent rebounding guard. So I feel like some of his narrative has been shaped by other people or other sources, including the Last Dance documentary. That's probably the last place where we really heard a lot about Clyde. 
So I think I owe it to Clyde sometime this summer to do a deep dive on his career. I'm going to put that on my long list of things that I want to do. Um, in the meantime, I'm going to keep an eye out for rare Drexler cards for David, and I'd love it if you could do the same. All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com, click on whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hustle, grind, spam, profit. We're the Rip Gods. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so sometime last week, I started seeing advertisements and promos on my Instagram feed for a million-dollar flawless basketball break that was set to take place in Vegas at the same time as the Mint Collective uh, convention or conference or whatever you want to call it. And this was, of course, on the heels of some sort of high-profile flawless break that involved Drake. Uh, by the way, the first break involving Drake confused me quite a bit because as far as I can tell, he wasn't physically breaking any boxes, but he did show up in the comments for some of it. Um, he was definitely present for the break this past Sunday night, though, and he, he seemed to really enjoy it. He was engaged. He asked questions about the cards that were shown. Um, you know, I, I can't fault the guy for that. So he seems like he's interested in the hobby. That'll be something that um, I guess is worth following here, but um, it appears that he's opening Flawless in search, you know, primarily in search of this LeBron James Triple Logo Man card, which has been hyped up a lot lately and is becoming the ultimate chase for this year's product. Um, I can assume that Panini's loving it because it enables them to put out um, pretty much a ripoff of product and, and then to hold that one unlikely hit over people's heads and all the degenerate gamblers will still chase it. And the group breakers know that too, which is why two of the biggest ones, Blez Sports Cards and Leighton Sports Cards, came together for what I want to talk about today, a break they dubbed the biggest break of all time. And um, if you wanted to be a part of this 25-case break, um, you could purchase one of 30 spots for the sum of $40,000 a piece. I know Blez put out a big hype video on his account to uh, let us know that, quote, this is going to happen once, and I promise you this is never going to happen again. Um, and then also to tell us that Ken Golden would be sponsoring the event. And in the days that followed, we got some of the typical theater that you would expect from a group of hobby thespians. Um, one of the Blez brothers posted a video of him getting a manicure ahead of time because he was going to pull so much fire. Uh, I think another one posted a reel of him doing some sort of like warm-ups or calisthenics. So... Um, you know, it was all a lot of theater. And just for reference, Blez is comprised of multiple brothers. So there are going to be times in the recap where I probably just collectively refer to all of them. Um, and then some cases where, you know, maybe just any one of them as Blez. They kind of all operate as one. Um, this is going to make things flow a lot smoother, in my opinion, because otherwise it, it gets kind of hairy. Now, as many of you know, I have not been the biggest advocate of group breaking in the past. It doesn't mean that I'm anti-breaking necessarily. I've, I've said that before. I'm not anti-breaking, but I don't always like what it's become. 
I've talked about it several times on the show before, but for context's sake, I'm going to summarize that stance for you real quick again. It's very similar to what I posted on social media before this break even began. Um, I said, remember this, group breaks were essentially created so people could afford the few high-end products. Now these same breaks are pricing people out in ways they shouldn't. The solution is helping to perpetuate the original problem. Notice, I did not say all group breaks are evil. I didn't say breakers were the only contributing factor to rising prices. But I think we can look at the original intent, and a lot of us might agree that it's evolved into something that um, could be a little bit concerning. And most of the responses that I got to that social media post were positive. Um, There were a couple, though, that I want to address here real quick before I begin talking about this big break. Uh, One person wrote, The growth of the hobby is the reason you have the platform that you do. You can't have it both ways. With growth comes change. Now, I think this is obvious to the people that listen to this show, but I'll repeat it in very clear language for you. Um, I don't sit here and try to pander to people for a platform. I, you know, If you listen to this show, I think you would know that by now. And if I did, I can guarantee you, with all the people that um, have approached or all the opportunities that have been out there, this could look like a very different show right now. But I'm very conscious of what I'm trying to do. And I think that's all that needs to be said there. Um, And then the second response that I want to talk about is where someone tried to explain capitalism to me. Well, thank you, right? Um, Look, I do not sit on Instagram and have long back and forths with people in the comments, but I plan to make it very clear by the end of this episode uh, that this was not just a simple matter of economics 101, because capitalism becomes um, at least, at the very least, a little more nuanced when breakers, marketplaces, and distributors collaborate together to all of a sudden become sponsors, promoters, and participants in a singular event that can have a major impact on the market itself. So that is a little bit beyond Economics 101. Um, All right, with that being said, I think it's time for me to jump right in. My plan today is to try and recap what I saw, and there was a lot, um, with some general commentary along the way, and then I want to end with some final thoughts, because as I mentioned in today's intro... I think there are a lot of lessons that the hobby should learn from this. Okay, so Thursday night, you know, I saw all the stuff leading up to this break, or I saw a lot of the advertisements, and um, the time finally came. I pulled the stream up on my computer, and front and center there are two models standing in front of all 25 cases. And you, you guys have seen that coverage already. This garnered a lot of attention throughout the course of the evening in more ways than one, and I'll touch more on that later. Um, we're then greeted by one of the Blez brothers who goes by the name Backer and the other man responsible for this thing, Rich Layton. And they talk about how far they've come personally. Backer mentioned that he was a high school dropout. He mentions that Rich was delivering pizzas. This is all part of the theater. Blez then talks about the main chase in this break, which I've alluded to or I've, I've described really already, which is that LeBron triple logo man. And he claims that from his sources, quote, There's almost none of this stuff left. And then they both claim that they're going to donate 25k to charity if they hit this card, and it's going to, quote, break the internet forever. And then he also states, being a part of this is a story that you'll never forget for the rest of your life. Um, This whole dialogue so far is kind of strange because, well, I guess maybe a monologue even. They are kind of talking to one another though, but it's kind of strange because they're essentially trying to sell you on the idea of the break again 
when all of the spots are already sold out. So I don't know if they were worried about the way this thing would be perceived or, or maybe they were trying to soothe the consciences of the people that had already bought in or maybe both, but there was some salesmanship going on nonetheless. So that whole segment um, that they did there took a long time, which um, you'll hear me say that about a lot of things, but eventually one of the girls brings the first case over uh, to the camera and it's got a computer printout with a logo on the side as all 25 cases will. It's a sponsor. Okay, The very first case is sponsored by a distribution company. Imagine that. Of course, they're all about an event like this where they can uh, convince people to spend large amounts of money on a product that probably won't deliver on the scale that everyone's hoping for. But uh, the people that are breaking this case wouldn't want you to know that it didn't deliver because right off the bat, Blaze peeks inside the case and yells, huge hit. And then there's this awkward, uncomfortable pause. We got a little bit of a delayed, unenthusiastic applause from the two models. It was kind of like watching an improv with actors that had never really worked with one another before. I guess they were kind of feeling one another out, but um, eventually that hit was revealed and it was a $650 Kevin Durant auto, uh, which segues us into case two, which was sponsored by Blowout Cards. And they sell boxes. Um... And they bring in a bald guy with a blowout hoodie and, and with a, um, you know, kind of a long goatee who's the owner of blowout. Uh, but they didn't say that for a while, though. And, and someone in the chat immediately called him Hugo Strange, um, which was a 10 out of 10 Batman reference, in my opinion. I, I know I laughed about that one for a couple minutes. But um, as this case is being opened, I noticed that there were a lot of instances where um, the cards moved off camera which was strange considering there were three cameras. And Blez actually commented on that later in the night, noting that he was he said he was probably the worst technical breaker in the room. Um, and he talked about how they organized this in such a short amount of time and it wasn't their normal setup. You know, that was a little concerning. Regardless, though, I don't think there was any sleight of hand going on here. There really wasn't any need for it. They'd already got the money. They'd already got, you know, everything that, that they were wanting. Um... You know, they did very well on this whole experience, but nonetheless, you need to keep the cards on the camera. That's like rule number one of group breaking. So um, one of the cards that did make it onto the camera was the first of many Louis Dampier autos, and they read the team as the Kentucky Colonels. Um, I know not everyone's a big ABA fan, but most literate people would still call them the Colonels. Um, and then, of course, they were stumped about what team this card would go to, which they did figure it out by the end of the night, but that was a little bit of an ordeal there at the start. Um, now, I can't say that I had ever sat through an entire Blez break before this, so you know what a, what a break to start out with. But at this point, someone in the chat was complimenting him for how professional he was being. And uh, I'd seen social media pictures and reels of him breaking shirtless, so I guess this was a big step up. But the night was still young. So here we are, we're about 45 minutes in, and we had only seen two of the 25 cases. I didn't think I was going to have the stamina for this thing. Um, luckily, there was a Pacers game that was starting in the next few minutes after case two. Um, just in time for case number three, which was sponsored by another distributor. I mean, what are the odds of that? Um, one of the Leighton guys jumped in for this break. They kind of all alternated throughout the course of the evening. There were some Blaze people, some Leighton people. I guess his moniker was Breaking Brad, and he peeks and he sees a huge card 
So, you know, of course, everyone came over to the camera and stood and danced around, and it made you think it was this triple logo man or something. Um, in the meantime, though, before he reveals that one, he reveals the rest of the cards, one of which is another Louis Dampier autograph, in which he got the team name right, but he called him Louis Dampier. So that's strike number two on uh, Louis cards. The logo man is then revealed, however, and it's Michael Porter Jr., um, the girls are off camera now. Presumably they found a chair. And um, as they're showing this logo man, Breaking Brad is trying to make air horn noises with his mouth. So, yes, that was case number three. And don't worry, I'm not going to cover the remaining 22 with that much detail. But um, case four rolls around. The girls are back. And our sponsor is, let me make sure I've, I've got the right notes here. Yes, another distributor. And this is where things started to go full on Blez. Another Blez brother steps in to break. There's instant screaming. There's a hype man in the background. And we get another speech. And there were a lot of speeches on this night. Um, in fact, one of the bullet points I wrote down at this point said, there is absolutely no sense of urgency here. Um, there was a lot of fumbling around with cards, with names, with everything. And up to this point, all of the comedy had been unintentional. Um, then they pulled a Mo Cheeks auto, though, and one of the brothers screamed, Maurice Butt Cheeks. I have to confess, I did get a good laugh out of that. Um, but then it was time for more flatulent oratory when Blez proudly proclaimed, We knew we could go to the moon, Blez family. We did. We didn't think we could go any further, and we have. I don't even know what that means. Anyway, uh, Breaking Brad steps back in. And uh, the girl on the right, the model on the right, sneaks a look at her watch. But, you know, I saw it. Um, and reality's starting to set in for her. And it's grim. And then there was Case 5, sponsored by another distributor. How many of these companies are out there? Uh, before the seal is even broken, we get more speeches. Blez makes a comment on, on how this is going to be a long night, and they just kind of laugh it off. And someone in the chat remarked, the best break in sports card history turned into the worst Blez infomercial of all time. Um, and while the chat was kind of fun, the Leighton channel eventually turned comments off for everyone except for Leighton members, meaning you had to pay to comment. I didn't know people actually paid for that, but I guess they do. Um, and at the same time, Blez is pitching his own community, um, the greater Blez family, is what they kept saying, the Blez family. Um, they were pushing this whole family narrative like, uh, like they're Olive Garden. You know, when you're here, you're family. Okay, chill out. You don't know me like that. I just want some breadsticks. Um, you know, I don't really buy the whole family thing. I, you know, I think that's very intentional the way they're marketing that. But in their defense, there are a lot of dysfunctional families out there. Okay, now it's time for some first off the line cases and Rich Layton steps in. And someone asks if it's Burt Kreischer, who ironically enough is a comedian that rose to popularity with a bit that he performed shirtless, you know, the machine. Um, we didn't get that bit this time, though. We got Layton's version of an infomercial where he doesn't want to outright say that his brand is way different than the Blaze brand, but he's trying to imply it in a nice way. Like he's trying to give us the secret signal so Blaze can't see it. I'm not going to let Richie Rich off the hook for this so easy. I'm going to come back to that later because there's a lot more to say there. Um, anyway, after case number six, 
I needed an intermission so I could watch the Pacers lose by 30 to the Grizzlies. Yes, that was more enjoyable. It was a glorious sight. Um, This also allowed me to watch a good portion of the break later at two times the speed, and that was a game changer. Otherwise, I would not have made it. I can assure you that. Um, When I resumed play, I was immediately hit with another Louis Dampier auto pull. And once again, he was playing for the Colonels. Now, we've heard about the Blaise family plenty by now. Did this family not play Clue when they were growing up? Or was it always Colonel Mustard in the conservatory? Louis, I'm sorry that you're being disrespected like that. Soon after, Blaise tries to bring another one of his employees out as he talks more about family, prompting that person to state, quote, No one cares who I am. It's just more unintentional comedy. And they mentioned the fact that they were only 40% done with the break so far. I double-checked the YouTube settings at this point to see if there was a a 3x speed. Um, Sadly, that feature has not been added yet. Um, Around case 13 or 14, so notice I'm skipping a little bit here, I saw a tweet from a well-known trout collector named Sue Tiska, who was upset about the models being part of the break. And I'll be honest, my first impression that, um, you know, I kind of likened it to UFC having ring girls. I thought it was tacky. I rolled my eyes when I saw it, but um, I didn't consider how it might make female collectors feel too. Um, She was not alone in this. I saw another well-known female collector, a golden employee actually, tweet out, being a woman in this hobby was not enjoyable tonight. And there was enough discussion developing around the issue that Leighton felt the need to address it mid-break on their Instagram. I'm going to read that post for you now. Leighton Sports Cards respects that there are many different kinds of breakers. We have a long-standing tradition of being family-friendly, and we remain true to those principles. That said, please recognize that tonight's break in collaboration with another breaker is not a typical break for us. There were many people and sponsors involved. Oftentimes, models are hired in the hobby for different purposes. However, it's not a practice of latent sports cards to use models in a way that objectifies them. This can be seen on our 10 years worth of videos. We pride ourselves in being leaders in the industry when it comes to inclusivity. We regret that tonight's event in Las Vegas does not represent the principles that we strive to uphold. End quote. Um... You know, we saw some of the same sentiment from Richie Rich earlier. And remember, this is mid-break. He's essentially trying to say, hey, we regret it in our names on the headliner of the event, but we're not really going to step in and do anything about it. You just have to imagine this is like all our other breaks, even though we marketed it as a break like no other. I'll come back to this. Um, so even at, at two times the speed, I eventually caught up to the live stream, so I paused it again and went to bed. I was not going to watch the rest of this at a normal speed. It just was not going to happen. So when I resumed the next day, it started off, there were a lot of thank yous to Ken Golden. Um, you know, Of course, having 25 cases of a high-end product ripped benefits him. I would guess that the majority of the big hits end up on his platform. And uh, at this point, I was just very casually watching this while working on something else when all of a sudden I see one of the Blaise brothers removing his shirt. We went six hours and 40 minutes before this happened. That is just unbelievable restraint. And then, of course, he, he added, I gotta be honest, my nipples look really bad on camera. 
And guess who's sitting right by him at this point? Richie Rich Layton. He's stuck in the same frame as this guy, and he's just nodding his head. Uh, It's the kind of nod you might do when you're already having a horrible day, and then that jar of spaghetti sauce falls out of your grocery bag and smashes on the floor. The disappointment uh, was palpable. And someone off screen, (laughs) while all this is happening, uh, suggested that Rich should take his shirt off as well, but uh, he declined. You know, can't do that. Um, So they start opening the box in front of them, and Leighton has to remind Blez to keep the cards on camera, and that's where Blez mentions that he's a horrible technical breaker, to which Leighton chimes in, yeah, but you're fun to watch. And eventually the break itself ends, and the LeBron triple logo man is nowhere to be found. So Dave and Adams threw in a couple loaded boxes of one-in-one, so they broke those real quick before we got... More speeches, and pretty revealing ones too. The first one was all about how, you know, how quick they organized this thing. Which, it's funny how they kept coming back to this idea throughout the night. When something went wrong, it was a scapegoat. When something went right, it was a trophy. Then Rich claims that they all had a great time, and Blaise talks more about the origins of the event. He said, why don't we do something for the industry? Why don't we do something that will change the industry forever? And there was a little hug and a handshake. The shirts are back on now. And Blez boasts, we care about one thing, making smiles on people's faces. I couldn't be happier to be part of this with Rich Layton. To which Rich Layton chimes in, same here, man. Hmm, doesn't seem like there's any regret to me. And then Rich continued, a lot of drama unfolded tonight in the chat and on social media that I think was misunderstood. However, I'd like for you guys to kind of see where we're both coming from. Then he basically described that the two of them have different styles, but that they can coexist. Um, Blez more or less closes by saying that we were all blessed to be able to watch this and that it should have been pay-per-view. Okay, so after seven hours of being blessed, or blessed, I should say, I have some takeaways that I'd like to share with you today, and I could really take this in a number of directions. I already touched a bit on the fact that people were upset about the models, and that has since created some constructive dialogue about inclusion in the hobby. One of my collector friends and I were messaging about this, and he wrote, 30 plus years as a brown skin guy in the hobby, I can tell you that it's gotten better from when I would be the easiest person to spot on the showroom floor, but it's nowhere close to where it should be. So clearly we've got a long way to go there. Um, So that's one thing. Another thing that stood out to me was that a lot of the names involved in this were distributors, hobby retailers, or marketplace owners. And I can't help but think that they probably realize that if they promote this narrative of people spending tons of money on this stuff, in turn, they can keep distributing it, they can keep selling it, and they can keep listing the few high-end hits that come from it. And hey... That might not be as big of a deal if they were promoting a break that actually offered fair value or a reasonable return for the participants. In that scenario, everyone would win. Um, However, that wasn't the case here. A blowout forums user named Hermano Tarjeda comped some of the cards and crunched some numbers before posting the following. He said, I estimated no more than $160,000 back, $155,000 without the last two freebie boxes of one and one. 16% return on $1 million retail paid. When are breaker participants ever going to learn? 
that's an average of about $6,000 back per $40,000 case. People simply have too much money to blow. And someone responded to that by saying, I don't care about what other people do with their money. Not my business. To which Hermano Tarjeda replied, I care how other people should blow their money because it prevents me from blowing my money on flawless. Maybe I should thank them. And while he closed that response with a little bit of humor, don't let that distract you from the overall point he's trying to make. There were probably some people involved in this that just really loved gambling and could stomach taking a huge hit like that. But that enables Panini to keep putting out a watered-down product. At some point, these gamblers could decide they've had enough You know, they'll up and leave and things will be in a worse spot for the people that are still left. And as many people have told me, even though they're putting out a bad product, this is not on Panini. That's everyone's quick to tell me, hey, this isn't Panini's fault. They do not entirely create the market. I agree. And if you don't believe me, check out this audio from an August of 2021 video from Blez's Instagram account. Folks, um, about a few minutes ago, I just signed off and I, I just have to make an announcement. I've been in this industry since I was four years old. Um, it's always been a dream of mine to collect sports cards. And the last few days, we, uh, we put a bunch of National Treasures basketball breaks in the store. Pick your teams, random teams, one box random teams, even FOTL, National Treasures. And for those of you that were watching the live I opened up three cases and I decided to pull the plug. It's very simple. I don't support the market. On, I don't support the price of National Treasure. I don't support the market on it. And we pride ourselves on offering, in my opinion, the best value products in the industry. And I believe that National Treasures, I, I cannot physically be on Blaze offering this product. I don't feel good about it. So I've decided we are not going to offer it anymore. Unfortunately, the conclusion of that video was spent shilling another Panini product that he would have in hand shortly after. Um, I guess back then I got tricked. It gave me a small glimmer of hope that we could start moving away from some of the more extreme examples of gambling with group breaking. So I guess my question is, how can you go from, I cannot physically be on Blaze offering this product, I don't feel good about it, to manufacturing the biggest break of all time for a product that we already knew was absolutely brutal because we just saw it right before that with all the Drake stuff, at least in the first round that preceded this million-dollar break, which, by the way, Blez was also a part of, I guess when things reach a certain dollar threshold, everything changes. And you can't tell me that the LeBron Triple Logo Man changes things. These high-end products have been feast or famine for a long time. And I'll play more of that August of 2021 audio clip for you, where you can hear Blaze essentially concede that even the prospect of a big hit is not worth the gamble for his customers, aka the people they call family. I don't like seeing people get hurt, okay? I've been in this industry, I've been on the other side of it my whole life, and, you know, yes, you're not always going to get something great, but at least you want a really good chance of getting something. And in this product, I believe it doesn't meet my standards of a product that we should be breaking. Okay. I've had people in the last week try to tell me that, you know, everyone should just expect this kind of stuff from this company and, and that's who they are. And that might be a little bit harsh. I'm not here to try and label them. 
but they need to know that this kind of stuff goes a long way when it comes to branding. And if that's how they want to be branded, fine. If not, they probably need to make some changes. It looks kind of gross for the hobby either way. And that brings me to the Leighton Group, a group that, from everything I've seen, has had a good reputation in this hobby. And they seem pretty proud of that too, at least in their written communication on social media. You could see that they felt like there was a chance that their reputation could have been compromised a little bit. I got that vibe throughout the entire course of the break, uh, because there were a number of conflicting messages. Allow me to run through them again. We got the combined speech at the start, where both groups were all buddy-buddy. Around case six, Leighton steps in and tries to, uh, in a nice way, imply that the two breaking groups have two very different styles. In the live chat on the side, the official Leighton Sports Cards account writes, It needs to be known that the models or sponsorships were not our idea. Well, why does it need to be known? And then as talk continues to build on social media, their official social media account releases that big statement that includes the claims that we have a long-standing tradition of being family-friendly and we remain true to those principles. We pride ourselves in being leaders in the industry when it comes to inclusivity. And then we saw the disappointed nods from Leighton when Blaise takes his shirt off, which is a staple of their brand that they have partnered with here. Um, and then Rich gives a speech toward the end where he claims that they all had a great time we get the handshake and the hug. Blez says, I couldn't be happier to be part of this with Rich Layton. Rich chimes in, same here, man. And then Rich steps in and offers a sort of disclaimer that more or less emphasizes once again that the two group styles are very different. So when this whole thing was over, a lot of people kept going back to the social media posts that said, we regret that tonight's event in Las Vegas does not represent the principles that we strive to uphold. I saw someone comment on this post that Rich should have been the adult in the room and tried to stop whatever it was that bothered him. After all, his name's on the event. He had the power to do so. Instead, he spent the whole night oscillating between the head of the table and the kids' table. And it wasn't a good look. And I think, once again, dollar signs had something to do with it. I don't think it was about putting smiles on faces, except maybe theirs. If I had to sum up this evening, which... Um, I feel like it could be a monumental task. Uh, but I would read another blowout post because I think there's someone on there that did it better than I could. And this um, person's name is Dave. Their username on there, though, is Cal's Drago. And he wrote, It's not good. Not for breakers, not for hobbyists, not for wax dealers, not for panini, not for fanatics. It might be a good wake-up for degenerate gamblers to move on to something else. At a small scale, think a case of prism, it's easy to look past the bad returns on wax. At large scale like this, you can't look past it. This break was a disaster. How does anyone open flawless at this point? 25 cases and not a single one broke even. This should spill into other breaks as well. Maybe the disconnect between wax prices and singles can finally start to correct. Well, um, as I was putting my final touches on this segment... I saw a social media post about a panel at the Mint Collective called The Future of the Breaking Business, which also took place in Vegas. And it got me thinking, unless people stop supporting this kind of behavior, there's a part of me that fears we've already had a more ominous version of that panel. And it took place over the course of seven long hours late Thursday night. All right, well, there you have it. If you made it this far, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen today. 
I don't expect you to agree with every point I made there, but uh, I did put a lot of time into this. At the very least, consider the points that were made, um, and then maybe we'll have some more dialogue about this in the future. You know, maybe there were some good things to take from this that I just wasn't able to see. You know, let me know. As always, you can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast or on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. This is not on Panini, but the truth is I cannot live with myself selling this product. If you want the product, feel free to go anywhere else in the world. We got a 30 case break with Soldier Boy coming any day now. Soldier Boy.